We welcome everybody here, especially our visitors. You may want to go ahead and grab your Bible and turn over to Matthew chapter 5 as we begin studying together about maximizing our good deeds. I want to thank our song leader for those excellent songs that just really remind us that the point of our good deeds is to magnify God's greatness and that there is work that every one of us can be involved in. We want to think this evening about the work that we do, whether it's just that small cup of water or something that very few people notice, how those small deeds can really be magnified. As little boys, something that my brothers and I loved to do was if we were at the neighbor's pool or something, have mom just pull her chair right up on the deck, and then we would jump in and see who could make the biggest splash. And we just wanted her to watch and just tell who made the biggest splash. And we found out very quickly that belly flops are an altogether too painful way of trying to make a splash. But we'd try cannonballs, we'd try can openers, whatever we could do to make a big splash. Well, that's kind of what we're talking about tonight. How can the deeds that we do in service to God make a big splash, not for our own glory and not for our own ego, but how can they have a great impact on the souls of the lost around us? And how can they have a great impact on the community around us. And this requires some study, and it requires some consideration. Because if you look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 2, we see that the Pharisees and all that they understood about the Scriptures were really messing this up. Chapter 6, verse 2, Jesus specifically reprimands them. He says, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. If we just try to figure out on our own how to make our deeds more noticeable or maximized in their impact, man tends to mess this up. We want to dig into the Scriptures tonight to see the direction that God provides for us so we make that big splash, so that we do things in a way that really magnify the honor and the worthiness that God himself has. And if you look here in Matthew chapter 5, the first thing I want to tell you that's going to help us maximize our good deeds is that we approach these deeds with clarity. Clarity of purpose. That this is not some random event that we have participated in and we hope that it comes out the way that is pleasing to God. We know that we want to please God in this. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, Jesus says to us, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Notice that they need to shine before men. People need to notice a little bit of what you do. I'm not saying that you want everyone to notice everything you do. In other passages of Scripture, Jesus tells us, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. But if we're talking about maximizing our impact, there's a sense in which we've got to be shining not before an empty room, but shining before men. People need to know that we have the character, we have the nature of those that care about good deeds within us. And we do this in a way that we communicate. As you go throughout the month of October, and you start pulling off your cards like Edwin suggested tonight, and you start looking for some of the good deeds that you can participate in, please don't just think about, how do I do this? Think about how do I say this? What are you saying by this good deed? Can I do this good deed in a way that it says something about the God I seek to honor? That it says something to the person that I'm seeking to help? That they understand 
that this is because I love God and I love my neighbor as myself. We need to shine before men in our good deeds. And we, of course, do this to the glory of God. He reminds us here that if they are truly good, then the spotlight is not just going to be on us. The spotlight is going to be redirected. It's going to be on God because He deserves all the glory. And as we participate in these things, we're laying up treasure in heaven. We are looking that He will be glorified now, but that we would one day be glorified in His presence when He simply says, well done, good and faithful servant. And in working through this, thinking about what you communicate and how you glorify God, I think Paul really helps us when he talks to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 in highlighting for Timothy what the main point of his instruction as an evangelist was there with the church at Ephesus. He says to us in chapter 1 and verse 5, the goal, or some translations say the purpose, the goal or the purpose of our instruction is number one, love. Number two, it's love from a pure heart. Number three, a good conscience. Number four, a sincere faith. If you're trying to figure out what am I supposed to be communicating and how can I make sure this glorifies God, then this is your quote-unquote checklist. These are the things that you've got to look at. Am I doing this with a sense of absolute love for God and for my neighbor? Am I doing this with a pure heart or am I doing this just because Edwin's going to ask me later? Am I doing this just because the elders said we're supposed to? Is there a pure heart involved in what you're doing? A good conscience. Do you really believe at the core of your conscience, that this is the right thing at the right time and with a sincere faith, if we can reflect those kind of things in our instruction and in our good deeds, we will have a much more clear purpose in mind. We see Zacchaeus, and we talked a lot about him last night. Zacchaeus was good at this. What was he communicating? He was communicating in a humble and yet a public way that he was not going to continue to defraud people He was going to give generously to the poor and he was going to right the wrongs that he had been guilty of. He was communicating. He was saying something with his good deeds. And he was glorifying God because it wasn't just about his reputation. He did not want them to continue in grumbling against Jesus' choice to come into his household. This is a simple illustration of communicating for God's glory. And if we'll keep a clear purpose in our good deeds, we'll be successful in that. But there's a second thing that's going to help us maximize our good deeds tonight, and that is approaching our good deeds with a commitment. So many times when we talk about, oh, you're committed to this, you've got to have some initiative, and as Jim Deason said, you've got to have some finitive. You've got to finish what you started. That's not the kind of commitment I'm talking to you about right now. I hope you finish the things that you start. But the commitment that helps maximize good deeds is more of a commitment on the front end. It's a preparation for the deeds that you're going to engage in. Look over at James chapter 1, verse 25 with me. Most of us that have been Christians for a while just see that verse reference. James 1, verse 25, and you're thinking, doer. Be a doer of the word. Don't be a hearer only. And that's awesome. I'm glad that you think about that when you come to James chapter 1. But can I call you to a different point from this particular verse? Verse 25. The one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man 
will be blessed in what he does. If you want to be that effectual doer, you've got to take a lesson from some 14-year-old girls. Because some 14-year-old girls are always, always pulling up the rest of their family when it's time to go. Because you're going to find them in the bathroom with the makeup, the mascara, and just getting everything just right. And they're just looking in the mirror and they just know, oh, he's going to be there. And I can get this hair right there. And I get a brush my teeth and oh, I make sure I don't have any Oreo left. They're just looking intently at that mirror. See? They're looking so intently to make sure it's just right. Did you see that at the beginning of the verse? When you're studying God's Word, you're looking at it with some intensity. Looking into the Word of God like it's a mirror showing us the faults in our lives so that we can get those things straightened out, so that we can conform ourselves to the will of God. We need intense study of God's Word, intently looking to become more perfect through God's will. We need a commitment to that kind of study if we want to maximize our good deeds. We need a commitment to being alert. If you come over to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 2, we see that one of the things Jesus was upset about with the first century Christians was that they kept falling asleep on the job. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 2, the Bible says, Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Would the Lord say that about you in your life? He has not found your deeds completed in the sight of God. We need to wake up. We need to be alert recognizing that sometimes we're spending too much time physically entertaining ourselves or resting, and sometimes we're just too asleep mentally to really see the open doors that God has set before us. We can't go to sleep. We need to be serving God with great zeal, with great commitment, strengthening the things which remain, which are about to die, so that our deeds can be completed, so that our deeds are not left undone. And we need readiness. In this, Come back to Titus chapter 3 and verse 1 with me. When we consider this kind of commitment that studies, this commitment that is awake and alert and looking for opportunities to glorify God with the good deeds and the clarity of purpose that we're describing, then we need readiness to act. Titus chapter 3 and verse 1 remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, and to be ready. For every good deed. How ready are you for good deeds? I know someone that I think very highly of. I put a ring on her finger, if that helps you figure out who this is. Um, that she drove around with tracks in her car and with food in her car so that when there was a homeless person, she didn't have to give cash. She was ready to help them with something that she knew would help them. How ready are you? For good deeds. Let me just tell you something expedient that we've tried to do in our family. We've got what we just call our good deeds line item in our good deeds budget. We know what we've got to send to the mortgage. We know what we've purposed in our heart for our contribution. But we know we've got X amount in our monthly budget that if something comes up, we can say, I'll pay for that. If something comes up, I can say, I'll give you gas money to get there. If something comes up, we know we can participate in this. And families... How cool would it be if you could let your kids take turns saying, okay, we've got this $25 set aside. What good deed are you going to do with us this month? 
Or we've got this $45. We've got just this $5 set aside. I encourage you to think about your readiness. Do you have a good deeds budget? Do you have something that you know this month? I'm ready for good deeds. And as soon as I see this opportunity, I'm going to meet it. Now, I love it if you blow that line item. I love it if you triple your budget on that particular line item because God gives us abundantly for every good deed, but we're not ready too many times. We're scrambling and we're saying, oh, I already did this or I already did that and I can't help right now. Let's not be that. Let's be committed to this enough to be prepared. And living in Florida, one of the things that they're always talking to us about was being prepared for the hurricane. And they would even give us a tax break whenever you're going over to Home Depot or Lowe's. Get your tarp, get your generator, get your bottle of water, because you live in Florida and you're going to have a storm come through, if not this year, the next year, and you can use those things. We didn't have to live there too long until we understood the importance of being ready. If you're committed to weathering the storm, then you get ready. And if you're committed to doing good deeds, then you have to get ready. You have to be alert. And you have to know from God's Word what those deeds are. There's a third aspect that's going to help you make a bigger splash. It's going to help you in your good deeds, and that's to approach them comprehensively. If I were to just take a poll and I was to ask people, you've got to choose between helping people physically or helping people spiritually, I am very happy to say that most of the people in this room are going to say, I'm going to help someone spiritually first. Because helping their soul get to heaven is the most important good deed I can participate in. I'm glad that you would raise your hand. But brethren, God didn't ask you to choose between one or the other. Nowhere in Scripture are we told to neglect good deeds of a physical nature. I realize that you've got limited time and limited resources, just like we all do. But the Bible tells us that we need to be meeting both physical needs and spiritual needs. If you take your Bible back to Matthew chapter 15 and verse 32, we look at the passage that our institutional brethren constantly use to justify so many of their practices. And we rightly say to them, wait a minute, Jesus is acting as an individual, and we try to do those things as individuals. Well, I hope we can teach that, but I hope more that we can practice it. That if Jesus is setting an example for us as individuals here, that as individuals we meet needs that are both of a physical and a spiritual nature. Here in verse 32, Jesus says, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days, and they have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. Jesus has fed them spiritually, hasn't he? For three days, they have sat at the foot of the Savior, soaking up this phenomenal teaching. But he knows that physical needs and spiritual needs both have their place. And we need to acknowledge that kind of balance. You will not always be able to hit both simultaneously. But examine your life and consider, have I been overemphasizing one or the other? And bring some more comprehensive approach to your good deeds. You may also need to be more comprehensive in the type of people that you help. Galatians chapter 6 reminds us to honor our brethren, but to love all men. We need to be doing good deeds towards our brethren, yes, our church family. But if you know that you've focused on that to the exclusion of your friends in the community, it may be time for you to carve out a little bit more opportunity to reach out to others. 
We need our good deeds towards God. We need our worship. We need our prayer life. We need our devotion and our loyalty. But we need good deeds towards our family as well. And there have been too many preachers that have spent more time with God's family than with their own family. And that tragic results there. We've got to have a balance. We've got to have a more comprehensive approach to the way that we engage in good deeds if we really want to maximize their impact. This does not mean that it's okay to spread yourself too thin. We think about the parable of the ten virgins. They knew how much oil they had, and when they had to say no, when they had to say, I'm sorry, I cannot give you any of this oil, I can give you my good advice, I can give you my wisdom. Please go to the markets. Try to get some oil and try to get back in time. But I, I have a responsibility to God first, and I, I can't give you this oil. We've got to make some tough choices. We've got to keep our priorities in line. But we've still got to be comprehensive because the truth is we just have too many talents to let them sit idly by, not engaged in good deeds. We can do too many different things to neglect those skills that God has blessed us with. In Matthew chapter 25, we can just look at verse 24 down through verse 27. The one who had received the one talent came up and he said, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid. And I went away and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I scattered no seed. You ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. There's not a person in this room that wants to hear that kind of message from God. But too many times we're afraid to use all of our talents. We need to be more comprehensive in our approach and use all the time that we have left on this earth to engage in the variety of good deeds that God has instructed us in. Because the beautiful thing about the Scriptures is that just like there's no one place we have to worship God, we have examples of people worshiping in buildings, we have examples of people worshiping in homes, we have examples of people worshiping outside by the river in the book of Acts. No one place. There's no one deed that God is just waiting on you to get to. God has given us a multitude of examples of good deeds that we can be engaged in. And He's given us the time to do it. And Peter reminded his audience, live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of the men, but for the will of God. The rest of your life is committed to the will of God. Why? Because he says in verse 3, the time already passed. It's sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatry. In all this, they're surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, if you're pursuing the will of God, then look at what he says in verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. With whatever time we have left on this earth, let us approach all the good deeds that God has called us to. 
And then I would also remind you that we're going to need to approach these with some fairly significant consistency. I think one of the scriptural churches uh, that best illustrates this is the Thessalonians over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 in verse 3. Paul seems to have had maybe not as strong of a relationship with them as he did with the brethren at Philippi, but a, a definitely strong relationship nonetheless. And he says for us here in the book of 1 Thessalonians how highly he thought of them in this introduction in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers constantly, bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and our Father. Could he write that about the church at Franklin? Could he say, oh, your work of faith, the work that you are engaged in in this community, living your faith on a daily basis, is something that I am thankful for every time I bow my head. Could he say that your labor of love is evident? That in the deeds that you perform, you have exhibited this kind of love that he's inspiring us towards. Could he say your steadfastness of hope? When others kick you while you're down, when others do not appreciate the good deeds that you're trying to pursue, that you have hung your hope in heaven, that you know your citizenship is above, and that you press forward not seeking the glory of men, but seeking the approval of God. Can he say that about you? Can he say it about me? I've got to look intently at that perfect law of liberty. And I've got to consider whether I am appropriately diligent, appropriately consistent in my good deeds. Can you be counted on when your name is down to lead the closing prayer? Can they count on you being here? Or can they at least count on you knowing that you weren't going to be here and calling somebody and saying, hey, please cover this for me? Can you be counted on when you're asked to teach a Bible class? Can you be counted on in your workplace when someone's having trouble that they can come to you for God's wisdom to solve that problem? Are you consistently engaged in good deeds so that others know they can count on you? If we want to maximize our impact, then we need to be continually engaged in these good deeds. We think about this with evangelism all the time, don't we? We say that it's our job to sow the seed. We can't always control what kind of heart it falls on. We can't always control when they respond to the gospel. But it's our job to consistently sow the seed. Brethren, it is our job to consistently engage in good deeds with works of faith and a labor of love and a steadfastness of hope. Otherwise, we are bound to develop the kind of bad habits that Hosea describes back in Hosea chapter 5 and in verse 4. This is amazing. Because there are various times that the Bible shows us some roadblocks that stand in front of us growing in Christ. And sometimes that roadblock is an enemy. Sometimes that roadblock is our culture. Sometimes that roadblock is our government. But in the book of Hosea, in chapter 5, the roadblock is one they built for themselves. He says in chapter 5 and in verse 4, their deeds will not allow them to return to their God. For a spirit of harlotry is within them, and they do not know the Lord. How is he describing their heart? Their heart is a heart of harlotry. But they have given themselves to these other gods and these other pursuits, these other idols. And they're like, their deeds 
Their own choices, their own habits that they have built are holding them back from returning and from repenting. It's not the king. It's not the culture. It's them. If we do not become consistent in good deeds, then the simple reality is that we're going to default back to bad habits and we'll grow more and more consistent in those. Again, wouldn't we hate it to be said that our deeds are what are holding us back from walking faithfully with God. I think most of us would much rather have the words of Nehemiah applied to us. Nehemiah, of course, one that no one can question being zealous for good deeds and traveling nearly 800 miles to leave his home and come back to Jerusalem and to take on a very challenging and very difficult task with a lot of obstacles from within and without, not just to rebuild the walls. Please don't think Nehemiah was just an architect. Not just to rebuild the walls, but to rebuild God's people and to show them what it meant to walk faithfully with their God in His holy city. In Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 14, as he is winding down this book, his prayer to God is, Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out my loyal deeds which I have performed for the house of my God and its service. His deeds were not just zealous. His deeds were loyal. There's a consistency in Nehemiah's choices. There is a consistency in Nehemiah's allegiance and in his devotion to God that his deeds can rightly be called deeds of loyalty. Man, you can just put that on my tombstone and I'd be happy. That I serve God with deeds of loyalty as long as I walk on this earth. You know, you can take a puppy and you can toss the ball and the puppy will get it and bring it back. And you can take that ball and you can toss it and the puppy will get it and bring it back. And you can toss it again and the puppy will get it and bring it back. And a puppy can do it. But God gives me blessings and I hoard them instead of passing them on. And God gives me another beautiful day of life and I waste it instead of using it to its fullest. If a puppy can consistently serve its master, why can't we? He gives us blessings and blessings and blessings. Are we using them to bless others? He's given us our health, our wealth, everything that we enjoy. Are we being like Nehemiah with deeds of loyalty? Because if we can, not only are we going to feel great about it, not only is it going to please God, but it's going to maximize our impact. You're going to build up a good name and a good reputation with those that you interact with. They're going to see that there is something different about you and in the way that you seek to serve God. And it's going to make the next one really fun. Because the next one is that the Bible shows us we maximize our good deeds by approaching good deeds with cooperation. It impresses me that when Jesus came to this world, He did not do everything by Himself. I was privileged to be an editor on the yearbook in high school and in college. And one of my great shortcomings is that I constantly walked over to the yearbook staff, kicked them off of the computer, and did it myself. And that was wrong of me. That was poor leadership. That was poor instruction. That was poor cooperation. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't do everything himself. One of the first things he does in his ministry is call in Luke chapter 6 and verse 13 these apostles. 
these 12 men whom he knows he can invest in, that he can build up, that he can pass this gospel message along to, so that after he ascends to the right hand of God, they continue in their good deeds. And as they are walking in his footsteps, we've got to remember that God's pattern is for us to work with other faithful Christians who are zealous for good deeds. For us to get together and to cooperate from time to time. In fact, we know that the church itself is designed for cooperation. In Paul's letters to the Corinthians, he over and over again talks about it being a body and that each member supplies accurately its part. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 3 through 5, we see that vital connection between the older women and the younger women that sadly is missing in too many congregations where cooperation is expected says older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children and to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. I've got to tell you, you may be thinking tonight, ladies, that, well, I'm not older. I, I'm not that old. You know what? You're older than somebody. If you are 18, you're older than somebody that you can help and that you can guide. If you're 38, you're older than somebody that you can help and you can guide. If you're 68, you're older than somebody that you can help and that you can guide. We need to be cooperating as we engage in our good deeds. We have a specific scriptural example of this need. How foolish are we? if we do not get involved and follow these commands. And failure here negatively, negatively impacts the whole family and the whole next generation. And those same kinds of consequences, those same kind of domino effects are seen when we don't know how to scripturally cooperate with one another. Because the truth is there are great partnerships throughout the Bible that are showing us how to just find someone else that's a strong Christian, whether it's from your local congregation or from another congregation of God's people. Just look at what Paul is doing. Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Mark and Timothy and Titus and Luke, and the list goes on and on and on. These people were from tons of different congregations, but they were working together as a team to get more good deeds accomplished, to make a stronger impact in God's kingdom. We think about uh, the elders and the way that they work together for the church of God. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 says, If a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? We are so blessed when we worship with congregations that have elders that cooperate to take care of the church of God. And I hope that Members here are always lifting up the elders and their good deeds and thanking the elders for their peacefulness and their involvement in guiding the congregation. And then we think about Aquila and Priscilla. They are the power couple of the New Testament. And although sometimes it's better for husbands and wives not to work on every project together, uh, you don't have to be married long to figure that out, sometimes you can just say, I'm going to walk the dog, I'm going to change the oil, we'll have a nice dinner together. There are some projects, though, that you need to work together on. There's some projects where you complement one another and you know one another and you will grow in your relationship and you will maximize the impact that that good deed has 
by working with your spouse. Aquila and Priscilla show us how beautifully they work together to supply Paul and his good deeds and how wonderfully they stuck together as they moved throughout the ancient world. We need that kind of cooperation. So just consider what we've covered tonight. We can maximize the impact. Not by sounding a trumpet like the Pharisees, but with clarity of purpose so that we are acting with love, with a pure conscience, with sincere faith. We do this with commitment. Commitment not just to finish, but commitment to be ready whenever God opens those doors for us. We do this with comprehensiveness and looking at physical and spiritual needs. We do this with consistency, regularly, frequently engaged, and we do this with cooperation, working with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So now I hope that it is vitally clear to you and abundantly clear to you that I would be the worst preacher in the state of Tennessee if I stopped the list here. Because brethren, there's one more C word I've got to focus on. Our deeds are maximized and make their greatest impact when we work with Christ. John said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears, look, not some fruit, not a little bit of fruit. He bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. See, we could back up, we could take those two off, and we could just say, here's a great self-help book. If you want to have a stronger relationship with your spouse, think about your purpose, your commitment, your comprehensiveness, your consistency, and your cooperation. If you want to advance at work and move up the corporate ladder, think about these five things. That would be a list that you could put on anything. But when you add Christ, you're talking about really maximizing your impact. You're talking about not approaching your deeds with some self-help wisdom and not approaching your deeds in just the way that everybody else seems to go about things. You are approaching them with the one who strengthens us for all things. You're approaching them in the footsteps of the one who showed meekness and contentment in this life. Brethren, we must abide in that vine. And if we will, and if we follow the example of all these other scriptural concepts we've looked at, then you are going to maximize the, good, the impact that your good deeds make. So my challenge to you tonight is to consider your relationship to Christ. Because I know that you are capable of growing in these other five areas. But your relationship with Christ is something that this evening we are uniquely capable of helping you with. If you have been living in sin, and you have not been abiding in the vine, and you've been wondering why your deeds just aren't making the impact you hoped they were, it's your sin. It's going to be the sin. And if you need to repent of that sin, we stand ready to pray with you and to pray for you. James reminds us that the prayers of your brethren can accomplish a lot of great things. So don't hold yourself back from that blessing. The brethren here at the Franklin Church want to pray with you. And if you're somebody that's not really been paying attention to good deeds, if you've just been living your life for yourself up to this point, and you've never committed yourself to walk with Christ, You've never repented of your sins. You've never confessed your faith that He is the Son of God and you've never let Him wash away your sins in baptism. Then we would invite you to put on Christ tonight so that you will maximize the impact of every good deed that you serve Him with. 
from now until the day that he returns to take us home. Let us help you in any way that the scriptures would direct while we stand and while we sing the song that's selected for us.